Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Fools for Christ with Kimmy Zeiler and Dan Boyd, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Dan Boyd. I'm Kimmy Zeiler. St. Ignatius of Loyola said, Out of gratitude and love for him, Jesus Christ, we should desire to be reckoned fools. So we are seeking to discover Christ in everything from the banal to the sublime. And this is Fools for Christ. So our topic for the day is community. And this is a two-part uh, series. So next week we're going to be talking about how to make good community, how to yeah. establish a good Catholic community. So if you feel like you that's what you long for, then next week is going to be how to make it right where you are without making any huge long-term plans. But today we're going to talk about what community does for us, the the model that Scripture gives us, really why, uh, why bother with this thing? Why not just go at the Christian life alone and try to figure it out uh, as the lone wolf? Um, and we'll see what really what Scripture tells us to do. Yeah, and so when we were looking at this, one of the first scriptures that actually came to my mind was the, you have to hate your brothers and your sisters and your mother and your father. And so let's just start there, um, because that seems very contrary to what we're talking about. But in reality, when you take it in context, it actually um, really gives us meaning behind community. Right. So do you want to go ahead and read that for us, Kimmy? Yeah. So this is from Luke 14, verse 25 to 33. It says, Great crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on talking about discipleship, and in the end he says... But if not, while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. Right. So if we if we take this as part of the entire gospel, so including all of other all of the rest of Jesus's teachings, like mm-hmm. love your neighbor and yes. not hate your neighbor, <laughs> um, then it it kind of gives us a fuller picture. Uh, and the, when I think of this, um, the thing that comes to mind is. The Lord is not necessarily asking us to uh, to give up our gifts, to walk away from from our talents, our relationships, but rather to put everything at the service of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So my relationship with my mom, with my dad, with my brother, my sister, my wife, my friends can't distract me from the Lord. But that's the way, those are the, the vehicles for allowing the kingdom to break into this world yeah. more and more. Um and so then to, uh, not necessarily a flip side, because it's not like scripture has opposites to it, <laughs> but uh, the next, we will look at a verse from, or several verses from Acts chapter 2. So the very, very beginning of the apostles' ministry without the Lord. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions and divide them amongst all according to each one's need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple area and to breaking bread in their homes. They ate their meals with exaltation and sincerity of heart, praising God 
and enjoying favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So, Dan, this, this calls for socialism, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like it at first, but <laughs> socialism, communism, something. Um, or, well, that, so probably the best response I heard to that, uh, that remark is nobody's taking anybody's possessions. The church, the government, <laughs> nobody's taking anybody's possessions. They're voluntarily giving them up. So really, I would say yeah. this, is, this is the Very first different. religious order. Um, mm-hmm. This is the, the first group of people who voluntarily come together and bind themselves by a sense of poverty and obedience and the, for the good of others. And that's, that's actually, without having thought of it, religious orders are the, they're the model in a little microcosm of yeah. what Catholic community should be like. Yes. So you have, you have people who live in such a way that everything they do is oriented towards the good of the, the community. First, the physical good, mm-hmm. but ultimately the spiritual good of the community. So um, they don't allow anything to really enter in and pollute that life that would keep their brothers or sisters from from growing near to the Lord. So uh, it's, it's, in a sense, a purification of the, the trappings of culture that don't always lead us to God. Yeah. Um, which I remember... Hearing from one of my professors, something along the lines of culture should make it easy to do the right thing. That's um, beautiful. And if, if we think about the really some of the things about our culture that, that we like the most. Yeah. So let, let's just look at the way we celebrate Christmas. Culture, our Christmas culture makes it easy on the one hand to put other people first at that time of the year. Mm-hmm. Because there's this expectation we give of ourselves for others. Yeah, and, all the gift giving yeah, and expectation. Which yeah. can, uh, sometimes uh, people might take that to the extreme and they go far to the far extreme of commercialism and mm-hmm. just wanting to, to spend money to prove love. Uh, but really, it, it does train people, give away of, of that which you have, that which you hold dear, for the sake of others. Yeah. Um, and the, the festive nature, it lends itself to being joyful and exultant. At what Christ has done, at the yeah. or what the the Father has done, bringing His Son to start this great work of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one area where culture makes it easy to do the right thing. We're supposed to be happy and joyful at the birth of the Savior. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, at Christmas time, we seem to get all these distorted messages. Right. So we also are bombarded with all of these commercialized aspects of what Christmas is supposed to be. According to consumerism. <laughs> yeah, and that's the, that's one area where culture is telling us to do the wrong thing. Um, so the when if we use this as the model, that, that passage from Acts, if we use that as mm-hmm. the model, what will result is this flourishing of Catholic culture where living the faith and being a saint is the easiest thing imaginable, mm-hmm. which is, it's, it's not supposed to be hard to be holy. It's not supposed to, to be a slog necessarily to to follow Christ. I mean, he himself, he did say like, uh, yeah, you got to take up your cross, but my yoke is easy yeah, and my burden is light. I was just going to say that. Um, and so it's this, this beautiful <laughs> paradox. And when we have brothers and sisters walking with us, mm-hmm. there, I think there's the, the Irish saying, uh, when, when three friends travel together, they shorten the road. Mm. Um, and just being with one another, uh, you share your burdens and, and lighten it for everybody. Well, and this, um, I don't want to get too much into what we're going to be talking about next week, but this is really hitting home for me right now because 
um, I recently heard a talk saying that, you know, there's a common practice, a common understanding that in ministry, in a position of ministry, I can only really serve and bring five people close to Christ at one time, right? And so there's a limit. There's a one to five ratio. But I heard this talk that said, well, we need to flip that and have it the opposite way. So you have five mentors to every one person who's being ministered to. And like, think about that as like a team, you know? And so I've been trying to develop my own team of mentors to accompany me and be my community throughout my journey. So spiritual director, confessor, a job mentor as well, you know, and um, prayer warriors, accountability partners, you know, but this is really just hitting home for me of how important it is to have that community so that you can become a saint more easily. Yeah. And I really like that idea of like reversing the role of, okay, how many, like one person can evangelize five, but as a, like as a member of the Christian community, who do I still need to evangelize me? Because we, we can't ever forget that we are always in need of conversion, of mm-hmm. deepening our, our relationship with God. And we, um, we can tend to get stale and we think, oh, I've got this Christian thing figured out. Um, <laughs> we're in reality that having those people there, our spiritual directors, our confessors, yeah. our friends, they always shed new light on areas of growth for us. So it's like pointing to that one area of the house that's not as clean as you thought it was. Yeah. It's like, hey, I found dust on this baseboard. It's just like, <laughs> thanks. I guess I'll work on that. <laughs> guess I got to go to that area of the house now. Yeah. So we would, I think this is really the problem that, um, or rather the problem with American culture is the problem that, that everyone sees, but no one wants to do anything about. Because it's an anti-community culture. Yeah, it is. It's one of, we are, we're, we can be so inward focused and so self-oriented um, to, without wanting to beat up on, on social media and uh, just some of the, the good things that technology has given us, um, there's really this pressure to present a fake self. And so you spend so much time presenting mm-hmm. an image of who you want people to perceive you as yeah. that the real you is never out there. Mm-hmm. And that adds to this growing sense of dissatisfaction uh, yeah. that, that people are hearing about. So there's, yeah, there's, there's greater community, greater or rather not greater community, but there's greater communication. It's easy to talk to anybody in the world. So I can talk to my friends in the Dominican Republic. I can mm-hmm. talk to my brother uh, when he was in Germany, when he was in Iraq, when he was in Afghanistan. But we're lonelier. People are reporting higher, uh, higher feelings of loneliness. So what good is, is all of that doing us? Yeah. And I think our, our technology has become our master. Our, our culture, our American community, which should be at the service of yeah. relationships and happiness has now become, we're now the slaves to it. And it drives us farther and farther apart. And you said something a little bit earlier about um, not being able to show your true self. And how do you expect to be loved as your true self and who you authentically are? How can you receive that kind of community and, um, and love if you're not portraying yourself in an authentic manner right to I mean maybe social media I would actually argue that social media is not the way <laughs> to like truly authentically lay yourself out there for people right but um not that you should lie on social media but um but within those human interactions and those human friendships and that human community that's the area where you can really get down to the authentic 
one-on-one or um, group dynamic of just being yourself and just allowing your own self to be a part of, of that loving relationship. Right, and allowing those people who are closest to you to affirm you as you are and yes. to say, like, um, really the, to, to allow the Lord to speak through others and say, you are not the sum of your mistakes. You are not, uh, I don't call you by your sin. I don't call mm-hmm. you by the things you've done, but I call you my son or my daughter. Yeah. And yes, you've sinned, but go and sin no more. And you like, remember, never forget you are a beloved son or you are a beloved daughter. And that's I'm thinking now of the number of times in ministry where people have told me, especially when we go on mission trips and, and they get pulled away from a toxic community that mm-hmm. only drags them down. They say for the first time they really feel happy or they feel like they can be themselves. Yeah. And it's this, this authentic self that they want others to know and validate and affirm and love. And that's what real community does. And there's no, there's no trappings of, you have to pretend to be the biggest, baddest person, that, or the, the most popular, the, the most pretty. Mm-hmm. You have to pretend like you don't have blemishes on your face or yeah. you don't have, like, you know, gray in your hair or what have you. You are, you're loved because of you and not because of any exterior things. Yes. And I, I want to even draw on that even more. I, <laughs> I went on a mission trip to the Bronx, New York, with a group of college students. And so I was helping lead it. And we experienced so much loneliness um, in the people that we encountered. Uh, We called it our subway ministry. (laughs) So it was just the act of looking people in the eye and smiling at them and affirming them and being open to conversation. Sometimes that didn't come, but um, trying to start those conversations. So the loneliness that we experienced in New York during that spring break mission, and then that summer I went down to Haiti and, uh, you know, third world country. So you would think that there would be more suffering right. there. And there was more physical suffering. I, there's no way I could deny that. But the suffering of the heart was simply not there. Yeah. Not like it was in New York. And so I, I just saw this juxtaposition of how lonely we are with our things and with our methods of communication that we have established here. And then when I'm in this third world country where I don't know the language, I can't even communicate in their language, but we communicated in dance. We yeah. communicated. I was making up funny songs for the kids and like they just, we had so much fun. It was a truly a community and it right. was so much um, more fulfilling. It was so much, there's a sense of belonging there. Right. And which is, I would say the same thing of, of other places that have been like that where the they might be materially poor but they are they're communally rich and so Mm. haiti the dominican republic uh, developing countries they are they're rich in community and uh, it's it's easier to have good relationships and good friendships with uh, your family and your neighbor and your children because sometimes it's it's that might be all they have and they they can't spend their time sitting on the couch looking at their phone with the tv on in the background Mm. Because they're busy. They have to do, you know, they have to help their parents. They have to help their neighbor. And it, it draws people together and naturally makes uh, makes friendship easier. So yeah. that, that's kind of the poverty, ironically, well, it certainly increases disunity throughout the world. I would say um, for all of the wealth of America, 
there's still this this growing sense of disunity. Um, I, and we see that so much. I mean, <laughs> talk about the past, just this last year's elections yeah, and no, that was, our our lack of. What I was struck with was a lack of a, like taking the politics aside. You know, like looking at the actual issues, taking that aside. Let's just set that somewhere else. We're not talking about that. But looking at the lack of communication between the two parties, right? There was just no authentic dialogue happening. And I was blessed to be with a friend group where we had very different political views and we were able to talk about things openly and honestly. But so many didn't have that experience of right. being able to actually talk with those with differing viewpoints, share why they were thinking one way versus another, and and really open up and be vulnerable about that. Right. So that really, the I mean, at the heart of this, um, it seems like... Uh, it's almost like we're a bunch of brothers and sisters who are squabbling. And yeah. nobody, you know, perhaps it's because nobody wants to admit that, you know, okay, yeah, you, like, it doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who, who threw the first punch or who yeah. was the, the one who called the name first. Um, we really have this desire for, like, for peace with our brother and sister, peace with our neighbor, yes. for, like, we long to be part of a family. And our culture doesn't make it easy to do that because it isolates us and really helps us to turn inward. Um, just the way, the way it's culturally acceptable to spend your free time, your Sundays, um, like, Hey, go, you know, go spend six hours on the couch and watch grown men throwing around an inflated ball or, um, you know, like during well, you're the, talking about like sports, like oh, football yeah, or something. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was trying to think of what you're talking about. Oh, no. you were talking about well, like the entire month of, of March and then May, yeah. for March for college basketball and May and June for professional basketball. There's basketball on not just every day, but every hour yeah. of the day. It starts in the morning and goes until late at night because it's from New York to Hawaii or mm -hmm. from the Bahamas to Hawaii. And so, um, it's, it's almost this, this cultural expectation that we sit down together and ignore each other together while watching TV. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's a, a way to put it that I hadn't thought of it. So the, we've hit the kind of the negative aspects of yeah. what our culture is doing. Let's look at some of the things that, um, that community does for us. So the first thing that comes to mind is, and we touched on this with the, the saying earlier, that culture makes it easy to be good. Um, but when there's, when you're surrounded by people who want you to get to heaven, who want you to be happy, yeah, I, I'll call it positive group think. And that when, in the same way, when everybody around you is doing the bad, th doing something bad, uh, it makes it harder for one person to speak up and say, Hey, we shouldn't be doing this. Right. When everyone around you is doing something good, nobody's going to speak up and be like, no, nah, I don't really feel like, you know, going to mass. I don't really feel like saying the rosary. I don't feel like. Uh, saying grace before meals, whatever yeah. it is, from the big to the little, you just realize, oh, I like this thing, and I'm glad everybody around me wants to do it too, mm -hmm. because that just makes it that much easier to do it. Yeah. So, just um, one of the things I've done recently with the children of some friends of mine is just go out on a Saturday morning and, and feed homeless people, mm -hmm. and it's the kind of thing where, uh, with people I'm not related to, but just people I'm friends with, we'll all go out and we'll take very, very little time and very, very little resources. I mean, I'm talking probably less than $20 to feed 15, 20 people. Nice. Um, it takes a couple of hours and then we go back and we have fun afterwards. Um, that's the kind of thing that in our, in our groups of friends without wanting to get too much into next week's 
topic, um, we can find little ways of making it easy to be who Jesus is calling us to be. Yeah. Yeah. Really, at the to me, um, the story of the prodigal son works for like individuals. You know, you might have a brother or sister who left the church, and you think needs to come home. They took mom and dad's credit card and, and racked up a bunch of bills, and now they're they're off doing their own thing. But it works for the community as well, in that um, what the Lord is is doing through the church, through He's He's trying to expand this kingdom of God, mm-hmm. so that it it overlaps entirely with our, with every aspect of life. And we're willing to call each other brother and sister. Yeah. And we're willing to sit down at the same table and share a meal and bury the hatchet and forgive and celebrate. Um, and at, at any given time, every member of our community is the younger brother or the older brother, the younger sister, or the older sister, who is either blowing the father's riches or standing with his arms crossed, acting like a grump unwilling to accept the other. <laughs> yeah, and so the story of the prodigal son, you know, the younger son goes away and squanders the father's money and comes back and the father welcomes him with open arms and then, you, you know, the older son is kind of in the distance, like, but, you know, what about me? Like, I've never left your side. Like, why am I not receiving this huge feast yeah. kind of deal? And so that's the younger brother, older brother type of thing you're talking about there, right? Yeah, and that's, uh, the I would say the disunity comes in some way from us being one of those two mm. uh, examples, someone who like is coming back asking for forgiveness and then the other not willing to give forgiveness or perhaps the younger one has not yet asked for forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, and I'm reminded of a story from World War One. There's a ceasefire. I think this was in, in 1914. Okay. Terrible trench fighting. It was just the sides were, uh, were fighting over, you know, what on a map would be about a postage stamp. Um, and after five months of bloody fighting, um, on Christmas Eve, the, the English looked across and they saw this twinkling object and it turned out to be a Christmas tree. It was a little tiny Christmas tree that the Germans had set up. And initially they thought it was a trap. They thought we're being drawn in, but more and more started to come up and gradually the, the German and the English forces crossed and they met in the middle of the battlefield. Mm. And this was not ordered by anybody. It was spontaneous. And, uh, and I mean, this was over lines and lines of, of battle. And they stopped fighting and they stopped shooting at each other. And they started talking. There were some Germans who had uh, supposedly worked in Great Britain, so they were fluent in English. And they actually started exchanging gifts. They were passing back chocolate and sausages. Mm. Um, and that's really, it's a reminder, you know, what are we fighting about? What's keeping us from being in, in union with our brother and sister? that we can't immediately stop and be back in, in union with one another in this, this, this family that we long for, uh, that when it's like when people enter the church and when they find this authentic community, yeah, a part of their heart is consoled. That's that has been empty and been longing for mm-hmm. the love of, of brother and sister and the love of the father this whole time. And the church should be where they find that. Uh, and I think, as we get better and better at providing that for people, then that will start to address some of the issues of, of uh, you could say, people leaving the church because maybe they don't feel like they have a home there. Yeah. If we give them that home, hopefully they'll want to stay. Yeah. Well, and I, just through talking with 
different young adults in the area, you know, what made you choose this parish over another one? Usually it's the answer of, well, I belonged here. You right, know? yeah. I came in and I felt welcomed. I felt like I was part of something. Yeah, people are, are probably rarely going to say, no, I didn't feel like I belong. In fact, I felt like, you know, they were kind of cold here, but I really liked the stained glass windows or something. I mean, yeah. they might say that. Or it's a really be- pretty building. Yeah, beauty <laughs> beauty definitely does attract, um, but not as much as love and yeah. not as much as, as a sense of community. So, yes. So next week we'll, we'll try to crack the chestnut of how do we establish greater community at our parishes and, and provide that for people so that when they do walk through the doors of a Catholic church, they know that they're home and that mm-hmm. they have brothers and sisters there who love them. Yes, in our, in our own parishes, but also in our own lives in yeah. general. Yeah. How do we build that community up? From the, the smallest unit of the family all the way to the biggest of nation and internation. So. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for listening today. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Join us next week when we, again, talk about how to build community in every aspect of life. Until next week, God bless. All right, God bless you all. Bye. Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presented Fools for Christ with Kimmy Zeiler and Dan Boyd. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.